What is up, you beautiful people? Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover all the innovation and cool shit happening across Bitcoin. Today is no different. I have a fantastic conversation with Mike Jarmuz, who is the general partner at Lightning Ventures. Mike is a super experienced VC. He invested in over 1,500. Yeah, you heard that right. 1,500 companies uh, up to this point, mostly in secondaries, which is this kind of middle ground where a company's got some funding and they haven't gone to an IPO or a private sale yet. So some of those shares of the company get traded uh, on marketplaces. Super interesting. I knew nothing about this space at all because uh, where I, I am at the Frontier Fund is the super early stage, which is also uh, largely where uh, Mike invests. But talk about a ton. I haven't had a ton of VCs on the show. So we cover a lot about the VC space, the kind of anti-VC animus that exists in some of the Bitcoin circles. But we spent a lot of time talking about advice for founders. So how to interact with the VC, good questions to ask VCs, uh, common mistakes and pitfalls he sees when he's getting pitched, and ways that you can fix that as a founder who is raising, and a bunch of other stuff. So without further ado, let's jump right in this great conversation with Mike Jarmuz, the general partner at Lightning Ventures. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Mike, how you doing there, my man? I'm great. How about yourself? I am fantastic. Excited to have this conversation. I mean, me and you were in the same space. We're both obviously in Bitcoin, but we're both also in the VC space. So excited to talk about founders and investing, which isn't super common. Um, I haven't had a ton of them on my podcast to date. I was doing a little research on you, and I think I heard, if I didn't mishear this, you have invested in over 1,500 companies over your investing lifespan. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah. Can you go into some more detail on that? Because that's a, that's a staggering number when I first heard that. And obviously, like, Lightning Ventures is somewhat new. But, yeah, what's, what's some of your background in the investing space? So um, I started investing in later stage secondary offerings, later stage companies, um, where it was much safer. The companies were far more mature. Your money is tied up for less as long. Um, and it's, you know, so I hit a lot of those IPOs like Spotify and DraftKings and, you know, even Robinhood or those type of companies uh, during that cycle. Pinterest, One Medical, Lemonade Insurance, blah, 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 like that cycle. We have a good cycle. Uh, your money isn't tied up for that long and you get pretty good returns. And uh, somebody was looking at what I was doing and they were like, you know, you really should check out the early stage stuff. And I didn't want to lose all my money uh, because that's what I thought happened when you invest in the early stage stuff. And that's where that does happen. Um, so um, just learning as much as I could, uh, cranked up my deal flow, got uh, turned on to the people that I really respect that run syndicates and uh, sort of emerging uh, boutique VCs, uh, some a little bit larger joined their syndicate, started reading their deal flow, reading their memos, 
trying to learn as much as possible and then investing small amounts. So, you know, those are a lot of thousand dollar checks. Um, but you know, there's a couple of hundred thousand dollar checks, you know, very few and everywhere in between, you know, uh, depending on where you're at in life and what's going on, you know, uh, and that's kind of, um, what I think people should do is invest a lot of small checks into, um, startups, read updates, be impactful, do what you can and learn as you go. Cause like with Bitcoin, NGU technology, right? Number go up the NGU on your check size as an angel investor could always go up in the future too. You always get more opportunities to invest in these companies. You know, if you're a poker player, you can think of it as something like, uh, you get two cards before the flop. And, uh, there's a lot of good two card hands, uh, that end up being great uh, when you have a good flop uh, and that end up being not great uh, when it doesn't hit on the flop. So if you can get into a lot of deals cheaply, right, if you can be the last thousand dollars into a oversubscribed deal, uh, then you're likely to see their next deal, right, with their progress and when the chart is up and to the right and you can always invest more later, you know, but you're you're getting to see a lot of flops. Got it, got it. Interesting. So is the, I'm not really familiar with the later stage. I've been in the, this kind of early stage space for about two years now. Is the later stage much more, you have more data to work with. Like you're usually looking at companies that like have product market fit, have some traction, some revenue. So is it less, it's, it's less risky because you could be, be more data driven versus the early stage, which is more of like some fundamentals and like a gut check, if you will. It's ironic because it's not necessarily at all data-driven based on the way that you're able to participate when you're learning, uh, which is in secondaries. And in secondary transactions, you actually don't get as much information, usually. You have what the company has released publicly. You have what that individual um, shareholder or uh what those what they can share right you have some stuff that's kind of from pitch book and crunch base you have other things right but you don't really get a really deep dive into the company but what you get is is a percentage that's either at a discount to or at a premium to their last fund their their last raise so on a secondary market you might get a name that you really like that's private Tesla, I mean, SpaceX or whatever, right? If you see a SpaceX secondary where you can participate for maybe $10,000 and that might be trading at the same valuation as their last round, okay? And then you decide whether that's a good deal or not. Um, so, you know, at the, at the like real private equity sort of late stage financings, um, they get all of that information but if you're just like, I want to invest 10K into Neuralink, uh, you're not really going to get much to, to look at. Got it. Are these, are these happening in like back room me like meetings? Or are these like, is there a marketplace for this stuff? For secondary transactions? Yeah, I'm not familiar at all with this space. Absolutely. Um, you can sign up on a number of platforms that are out there. Um, you know, of course, you have to be an accredited investor for these, or at least you have to click the right button saying that you're an accredited investor. Um, and, you know, things like Equity Zen or Micro Ventures, 
we're doing a secondary right now through Lightning Ventures for uh, a company called ZK Stacks. Their product is a Wasabi Wallet, very popular coin join mixing, um, enhanced Bitcoin privacy uh, features uh, of Wasabi Wallet. That's a secondary transaction. Sometimes found early investors, or early employees. Sometimes they need liquidity in their life or they just, for whatever reason, and it's not necessarily a bad sign. It's just part of life. Uh, sometimes if you're, if you're an early employee at a company that's, you know, now worth quite a bit of money, uh, you can sell a small percentage of your stock, um, you know, and, uh, and maybe buy the house or land or boat or whatever that you're thinking about. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a problem with the company. You know, it's just, it's part of life. Your daughter's getting married. I mean, whatever's going on. Uh, so there are secondary opportunities all over the place. It usually happens once a company has kind of matured a little bit, you know. God, that makes sense. Is the, given the stage that many Bitcoin startups are at, are, are there quite a few in that secondary stage? Or are we still kind of too early for those to kind of hit their escape velocity or kind of hit that, hit that traction? Well, if we're talking about like crypto, then there were a lot of secondaries and still are for companies like Kraken, um, companies like, like Blockstream has done plenty of secondaries, um, you know, BlockFi even, all these companies before they went bust, you know, they were in the secondary markets, uh, you know, so there's there's a lot of like crypto bit pay these type of mm-hmm. companies and get those quite a bit on um, on the secondaries. But as far as like real Bitcoin only companies, um, it's pretty early. You know, like I got it. Block Dream, uh, but not not quite so many just yet. Got it. Got it. Uh, you mentioned poker as a metaphor earlier. Did you have a poker face? No, I'm no. I like to play poker for fun. Got it. The reason I was asking is because I've seen a correlation between, like, and maybe I'm just self selecting, but like poker players, so like did high stakes poker, and like competitive gamers seem to make pretty good entrepreneurs or investors. So I, I, it could just be I'm seeing into it. Like, I'm, I'm reading the tea leaves too much. So I was about to add you as one more data point. That's why I had to. That's why I had to ask. Um, okay, let's see here. Let's move into the investing side some more. Um, one thing that's been curious to me is when I go to um, certain Bitcoin conferences, like BTC++, I went for the first time this last time in Austin. Great conference, like super high signal. Uh, everyone there is builders. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but I was first introduced to Bitcoin through Stacks, so I'm kind of like a black ball-ish uh, Bitcoiner, depending on depending on like how you word it. And when I was there, Stacks is a bad word because the token, obviously. But then two, there's kind of an anti-VC animus in some Bitcoin circles. And so I'm curious if, if you've experienced that too, and like w- what's your take on, on uh, that, if you agree? Well, in general, um, I guess there's got to be some truths to every stereotype, uh, as much as we might not all want to admit it. Uh, 
whether it's the used car salesman, the um, ambulance chasing uh, attorney, ridiculous real estate agent, um, you know, we've all seen it, right? You have that vision of it. So venture capital definitely has a bad name as well, right? You can, your mileage may vary. Uh, not all VCs and investors are the same. Uh, they don't have the same values. They don't align on the same things. They might have different goals. Uh, they might not be fun to work with. They might not have your best interests at heart. I mean, there's a million things that can go wrong. Um, so, you know, in the Bitcoin space, all you can do is um, survey who's out there and kind of see who's for real and what's good and what isn't and check references and talk to other portfolio companies or people who dealt with this person and uh, and see for yourself. Uh, VCs definitely get a bad rap, though, um, because there's a lot of, like, normie, shitty VCs out there. There's a lot of, you know, that, that have uh, done some... And, and you can absolutely take advantage of a founder. Somebody doesn't know what they're signing or what they're doing. There's a, a lot of things that can happen there. So that education is super important, and I'm pretty passionate about it too. Yeah, you, you definitely see that. You kind of get the the rent-seeking mentality of like the fiat-ish world. It just blends into whatever industry they're doing, and VC can definitely be that for the... For the founder who then wants to protect themselves, because they can agree with you. Okay, cool. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to get in bed with a schmarmy VC. Uh, if they're on a call with a VC, like what? What would you advise them to ask to kind of like suss out someone of value versus someone who's more extractive? Well, you can always ask a VC questions like. How does it look for you post-investment? What's your process? What do you like to see? And um, if anything, the VC, it would be nice if they presented something to the founder post-investment. Like, this is kind of what we expect or what would be great, you know? If you could write an update once a month, awesome. If you can't, like, we get it, but, like, can you commit to, like, quarterly at least? Can you just commit to quarterly for, like, doesn't doesn't even have to be a million charts and graphs and KPIs and, you know, everything. Just, like, can just be a flow of consciousness. What's good? What's bad? What do you need from us? What are you looking for? Like, whatever. Keeping score improves performance. If you're keeping track of KPIs plus 9% month over month, I don't know. I mean, put, put something in there, like just, it's a good exercise to go through, right? It's not like, you must give us updates. It's like, no, this is good for you. It's good for us. It's good for everyone. Like, let's get in good habits, you know? And, um, you know, some VCs will just write a check. They're really there for capital, and they, they're not really that involved. They're more reactive, right? If you ask them for help, they'll do something, right? But not necessarily proact, thinking about those things. I remember a founder asked me that question when I was early on, like six months in, and it totally caught me off guard. Like, like what what do you guys do after you invest? And I was like, uh, well, we do an accelerator. So we help you during that. But then like after the accelerator, 
like that's what they were kind of inquiring about and i was like i don't know like i'm too new i'm too green so that's a fantastic question to ask um it also seems like the one way to think about it is unless the investors want to give cuts a check and like it's their equity stake like whatever that's that's their prerogative but um ideally you're looking for a partner right like and that's why you do the kind of like monthly check-ins is because if you know how your portfolio is doing, then maybe you can read between the lines and go, oh, okay, cool, we're struggling with this thing. I know someone who can help with this kind of thing. So it helps It helps the founder and you to kind of, the, the more you communicate, the more you can find edge cases to be helpful. So you're looking for that kind of like partner that be like go to, go to war with you kind of thing. Completely. You know, you have to, the more in the loop, and, and the more you leverage the people who've invested in your company, the better it is. Uh, they're only there to help you, you know? It's better you be potentially be annoying to one of your investors about helping you than to never say anything. <laughs> like, that's... You be annoying if you have to be. You know what I mean? Like, if they yep. ignore you, they ignore you. You know, but, like, they're here to help you, so... Makes perfect sense. On the on the other side, then, because this was for kind of like how to suss out a good VC. What are common pitfalls or things you see founders get wrong when they're pitching you? That is like low hanging fruit to inc increase their chances of getting investment. There was this kid the other day. Um, I say kid because he was actually seventeen years old. Um, I think he maybe started with stacks or I don't really know, maybe something else. But anyway, kid's going to be a beast in a few years. I mean, going to be ridiculous. And, you know, he, it's really cool too. He's like 17. He's like, I'm going to tackle this problem. And it's like the world's banking system. Uh, but he doesn't have like a deck, right? There isn't any visuals there. It's just like, here's the idea. Or here's a link to this notion that is just like 3,000 pages of stuff. And it just doesn't get your idea across. Like when you approach a VC for the first time, whether that's in an email or whether that's um, on a call, like you've got a very limited amount of time to like get the single most important thing, which is what are you doing and why should they care? That's really ultimately like the most important thing. What are you doing? Why should they care? All the other stuff about team and problem solution and all those things to follow and competitive analysis and everything else that's in there, that's all great and all. But right off the bat, what are you doing? Why should they care? And people take too long to get to that. And when it's too complicated of an idea and you can't just easily sum it up like it shouldn't your pitch deck shouldn't be more than 10 page you know what i mean i mean really you know companies are like 35 page decks you know uh, really it's not a good sign not a good sign usually yep yeah i can totally attest to that there's something about there's like that mark twain quote quote where he says like i would write a shorter letter but i didn't have the time to and it's kind of like that where brevity comes from like playing with it, honing it, cutting things out over time and getting it as simple as possible. And it struck me the other day because I was, I was again, we were reminded the Bitcoin white paper is nine pages. And like it covers like 12 ideas that are 
each profound as hell in like a paragraph each. So it's like, if you can't get to that level, we can explain proof of work and network batching and, and like all of this in a paragraph, you're, you're doing one idea. Maybe there's two sides of your piece. Like if you can't get it that easy, would you recommend them stay at the drawing board, like make that tighter before they go and approach VCs? Or, would, or do you recommend them approaching some lower tier VCs, get some feedback from the market and then do that process? I think the more you can bootstrap and the more you can do with nothing, it's ultimately the best sign. Um, I think that raising too early is a big mistake. So I'm always going to think that you should just go ahead and keep building. But if you have it, you know, it's like it's three, three stages, right? It's the who, the pitch, and the close, okay? So for the who, who are you pitching? Um, who are these investors? You have like your A column of like the best investors on the planet that you want. And then you have like the B group is like, you know, the next. And then you have like the C group, which is like the people that you'll talk to and take money from, but like not ideal. Like don't go for the A group first. Like don't start with like your dream investors first. Like start in the B group. You know what I mean? Get used to pitching, get some preliminary feedback, like work out the kinks in your own dojo before you go to, you know, your A group. Totally. Yeah. The, the what are you doing and why do I care it, it, it is good. The other one I've heard too is that um, you want to have a sense of urgency, meaning like why do are you raising capital now? Like what, what changed in the market or the vision you see where you're like, yeah, we got to squeeze this lemon now and make some freaking juicy lemonade and I need this capital to, to make that happen. So I think those, those kind of like three buckets, um, are really good, good clarifying questions. You can also ask a VC where they're at in the life cycle of the fund that they're investing out of. Um, you know, it's, sometimes it's good to know if they're at the beginning of that fund, if they are at the beginning of that fund, that it could mean that they could invest a second time in your next round still through that same fund, you know, uh, or even asking them a question of, do you make follow on invest? You know, some might just say, no, you know, they'll support you, but they're, they're just, it's against their thesis. They don't do follow on investment. So that's also a good question. And then if it's at the end of a fund that they're just deploying, um, depending on what else is in that fund, like it could also be like a really good signal for the company. Cause like if you were in the 2017 YC batch or whatever it, you were in, or if you were in the, uh, the, Union Square Ventures 2014 fund. It was a particularly good vintage. Um, that could be good for your company. So kind of knowing where the VC's at in the life cycle is, is a good question. You mentioned that they should also tailor to the VC they're talking to, which is kind of the idea of like when you make a resume, you kind of tailor it to the job you're applying for. So you look the best part, like put your best foot forward. Um on that idea, and I've I've heard this too from founders, where it's like my job is basically just like constantly re, re, re retooling my deck, like 
every couple of days, like version 117 for this investor. Uh, for you guys, what what is your thesis when you're investing? So people know like, okay, this how to match with Lightning Ventures? Um, well, first off, I mean, there's there's all sorts of different stages, right? Every every stage, every situation is completely different, all right? And, you know, not everything is suited for venture capital finance, first off. Um, there are a lot of really cool projects that need to be built that are going to improve people's lives. There are a lot of um, cool cottage industry type of small businesses that will make a lot of families and people happy and do very good things. But that's not always necessarily for a venture capital. Um, the thing to remember about BC is that, you know, each one of their investments has the potential to return the entire size of that fund. So they're looking for these mega big um, markets, okay, and outcomes. And, you know, if you're printing seed words on like metal plates, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a cool business. Like that's an awesome product. Like God bless you. But like it's not going to be that type of business, right? So separating out what you're doing before, you know, you might take it personal all oh, the vcs aren't interested in my obscure node running software um that doesn't mean that that's not going to be like an awesome project and funded maybe it could be open source you can get grants and all these other cool things and maybe it turns into a business eventually maybe it'll help you to think about it differently to where you want to make it into something that you would invest it in because now you understand okay about addressing a market Okay, and who your market is. So that's the first thing is to know that like they're not all suitable for it. I personally would rather invest in something that's live and has some traction. That's, I mean, that's what I like. I don't really like pre-revenue uh, projects, although we've invested in a number of pre-revenue projects. But if I had to pick... Uh, something that's maybe getting 25% growth month over month that just went live. Um, I, I, I mean, that for me is great. That's what I'm looking for. I mean, got it. All those KPIs matter. I mean, you should, they should obsess over every single one of them. And when you put them on a chart, you can, you can really tell a story how you're doing. Yep. Yeah, so the right product meaning the right market, especially nowadays where like gone are the days of like super cheap capital and you can raise on like a just a pitch deck and like some pixie dust. Like you need to have ideally some shipped code nowadays to really raise a good round. Okay, I hope this isn't too personal. If it is, let me know. But I'd love to like look at this through the example of one of your portfolio companies. And I'm, I'm going to talk to one of the people from Machinkura soon. And we, you, one of your companies is Azteco, which I find super interesting. It's like this voucher company. Tip right now, it's really big in Africa. When they when they approached you guys, like, could you level set? Like, how early were they? What 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 did you see early on? And like, what was kind of the vision? So people kind of see like, what what does this tangible look like behind the scenes? Um, that's interesting that you pick Azteco. 
um, to chat about. So they were basically like the first company that I helped um, before Lightning Ventures was even a thing. So like when I was investing in all these other companies, right? Um, I was a hobbyist, you know, played around with an Azteco machine, uh, got to know them a little bit and then helped them put together that round. And that was part of the reason, like how Lightning Venture started. They were very encouraging. It was a success. They raised their first round, um, and it worked out. So it was like a part of why we started. So they were already live with revenue. Um, they had plenty of materials and they have a, uh, multiple different revenue paths and things to do, whether it's points, cashing out with points, uh, or other, instead of other gift cards or employee recognition markets. If I give you 50 stars and you cash it out for a Starbucks gift card, you know, entering those type of things, uh, with their vouchers, as well as growing the global distribution network, um, I mean, it's a low margin, high volume business. And I went to Africa and it would spread like wildfire, you know, but it's activating these markets and doing it. It's, it's a process. Um, but yeah, I love Azteco. And then they just got a recently uh, funding from Jack Dorsey. So let's see what maybe happens there. You know, hopefully there's some good partnerships coming down the line. there. Interesting. And you said Azteco machines, this is showing my ignorance. So did they, were they like an ATM type of machine before or, cause my understanding is you like buy vouchers at like local markets and type in some kind of code. Oh, so you can, you can, um, you can fire off, print a voucher, uh, for uh, like a cash sale. So if you came into my store and you had, you know, $20 or whatever, uh, just like you were topping up your phone, you could top up your Bitcoin wallet. Um, right there. Uh, got it. Okay. That's freaking cool. Okay. Um, in your take right now, what's, where's the biggest opportunities you're seeing? Where's some of the biggest problems and opportunities that you're seeing across Bitcoin right now? Well, I think it's still the financial products and services, um, as well as the remittances and the cross-border payments. I mean, I still think that that's just the easiest way. I saw a great demo today from uh, uh, a startup working on India. One-way transfer from the U.S. sending money to India. No word of Bitcoin on the website. Okay, Takes fiat from your bank account here, sends it, lightning, Indian rupees land on the other end like this immediately and um, for a better fee than Wise or any of these other type of normie deals. And um, no word of Bitcoin, completely built on Bitcoin. And I think that that's going to be the trend for a while is a lot of companies leveraging Bitcoin and you just don't even know it. Yeah, okay. They're kind of abstracting away that piece and just using the rails for the beautiful rails that they are. I'm curious to get your take on one thing I've been thinking about. I've been trying to educate myself on business models. And one thing that struck me is a lot of Bitcoin startups are going after, they're, they're making money through transaction fees, ultimately. And so they're kind of like a middleman between two entities typically. And that one seems 
it makes sense. It's a natural fit for this kind of infrastructure, but they seem to gravitate towards like a winner take all or they require massive scale to win. Most of them do. So when I look at that lens, it seems like there's only going to be a few winners and then the rest will have to pivot to other models. Is that the, how do you feel about that thinking? Like where, where am I off there if I am? So like in a, in a winner take all, I mean, you pretty much Google it, right? Um, so what exactly are you talking about that you think that, uh, they're not, they're not all going to make it like all in one area or who's competing with each other? Like, do you just think that some of these things are big markets? Like what exactly do you, do you mean? I think that if I look at it through the lens of say Visa, for example, Visa, Visa, prints these cards and they have this kind of like monopoly on this Visa logo and that connects cardholders with merchants. And they have basically like the entire market. There's a couple other ones, MasterCard, Discover, but Visa is the main player. And then they, they branch out and a bunch of people can plug into their infrastructure if they want to. Um, when I look at it through like the Visa and like the two players, the cardholders and the merchants, uh, I could see lightning nodes being one entity that gets to continue to pull value by being, you know, a routing infrastructure. But on top of that, I can't think of how many visas, if I'm looking at these two parties in this middle middle layer, uh, how many companies really reach VC level scale um, and can serve a lot of people. That's That's kind of what I'm thinking, if that makes sense. In the Bitcoin space? Yeah. I mean, many, many companies, um, I mean, V, I mean, visa level scale. I mean, that's like, that's a hard, um, that's hard, but you have lightning labs, you have the block streams, you have the like Cisco systems type of, uh, larger, uh, infrastructure type of companies, um, and you have a lot of little exchanges uh, that are selling Bitcoin all over the world. Um, I think that there'll be a consolidation there. I don't think that any of them like are, are really fighting with each other right now. You've got stuff in the gaming space. You know, all it takes is one Pokemon Go that leverages Bitcoin in one way or another, or adds it as a as a uh, part of the game. We're investing in a company called Pink Frog Studios. They are the team that that uh, scaled Candy Crush Saga. They're building a social Gen Z blockbuster uh, that you know leverages Bitcoin and creator videos, questions, the whole thing. Um, you know, so there's a lot of stuff in gaming. There's rewards. There's art, scarcity, physical art auctions like the Sotheby's of Bitcoin stuff. Um, you know, I mean. The swans, the unchained capitals, the larger banking, they aim to be, you know, the Thea of um, the uh, UBS of this thing. You know what I mean? They want to be the larger. You have your Roth IRA. You can do other things there. Maybe you do some legacy planning, um, some multi-sig stuff, wills and shit, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean... All of these coming up, Jan 3. 
I mean, Jan 3 is DCAing nation states around the globe. I mean, there are, you know, the volcano bonds in El Salvador working closely with that government as a case study and then meeting with other world leaders to basically follow El Salvador's lead uh, and do more. I mean, how big is that market? You know, so I'm really bullish on a lot of these um everything going on in Bitcoin because there's just so much you can invest in now and there wasn't before, you know, there just wasn't. Crowd Health is a healthcare company that also accepts Bitcoin and you can like save your premium and like stack sats and like, it's a great company without Bitcoin, you know, Mm. just like a thousand times better. The fact that they're like orange pilled healthcare and it's pretty sick actually. Love it. Okay. Um, actually, could you place me? How long have you been investing in the Bitcoin space? In startup companies? Yeah. Uh, maybe lightly four years ago. Maybe. I don't know. You know, things like Folds, Seed Round. I don't know if you know what Fold is. <laughs> yeah. A couple of things like that. You know, some crypto stuff. I Some Kraken secondary shares. Um, some stuff like that, but there wasn't much in the Bitcoin space, occasional deals here and there, you know? And that's, and that's my question. Cause when you, I think one of the things that's been tricky about Bitcoin is that one, it's so limited, which is a, it's a blessing and a curse, um, but more of a blessing for sure. But because of that, people have obviously opted to go build on the crypto side because of convenience and that's also brought a ton of vc capital and so i think a lot of talented devs are just now starting to reevaluate their position and start to think about maybe bitcoin's the play maybe i go build on lightning or build on ordinals or rootstock or whatever it is but the one of their underlying questions is if i go build over there is there enough capital like you have the lightning ventures you have bitcoin frontier fund you have maybe 10 to 20 Bitcoin-focused VC funds at this point. Is there is there enough capital for the kind of like, if we got a big influx of good products? And I guess second question is, have you seen an uptick in that number f- from, from your view? Yeah, um, crypto VC land is pretty much flat on the year from the most recent numbers that were published. And, you know, Bitcoin VC is up, I think it was like 20%. I don't know. It was up quite a bit, though. 16 to 20% somewhere around there. I could figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely increasing. I mean, there's still more of an appetite on the crypto side. But a lot of those crypto people have been, like, contacting me and, like, booking calls and being like, hey, you know, Bitcoin's more on our radar now and... We were just looking at crypto, but blah, blah, blah. You know, now Bitcoin is something that we're looking at, but they they don't seem to get it because they're like, okay, send us send us all of your deals that have a token. And I'm like, you'll never get it. And they were like, well, our investors won't do that. They need liquidity. And I'm like, well, that's not how this works. Yeah, you got to make a high conviction bet here, buddy. Uh, who, who wants an investor that's just waiting to dump you uh, your shit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, cool. I'll give you a token, but you got to lock it up for 10 years. And they're like, ooh, it's, nope, sorry. Don't want that. 
Okay. Um, man, well, we covered a lot. I guess last couple questions. I'll keep this one broad. What do you, what are you most excited about right now? Because there's like people keep calling it the Bitcoin Renaissance right now. Um, you know, ordinals, lightning. Um, people are talking about rollups. Obviously, there's a crazy debate around drive chains. Like, there's a bunch of talk right now about trying to, trying to expand Bitcoin use cases. Yeah, what, what are you most bullish on right now? You kind of mentioned the payments infrastructure is still like the main bread and butter, but what are you most excited about right now? I would be excited if the U.S. wasn't making it nearly impossible to be a Bitcoin startup. That's what would really make me happy. Um, it's almost impossible here. And in other places, it's just much more advanced. Like Europe is so far ahead right now. It's not even funny. Um, just the way their exchanges work, the way their laws work, um, non-custodial, but everything is, is just better outside the U.S. So the U.S. is like super behind and that's a major bummer. Uh, when that changes, it's it's going to be great because it really holds back a lot of people from doing anything here. I mean, whether it's even accepting credit cards or doing the most basic stuff, it just makes it very difficult to do. So, um, you know, I, I don't really pay too much attention to a lot of thing, the things that aren't really built or ready you know, what do you think of art? What do you think of this? Like, I'm so busy with the companies that we've invested in and helping them, as well as a pipeline of companies that we have coming up and everything else that we're doing to, like, put a bunch of, like, time and thought and work into, like, ARC. Like, it's not a, it's not a thing yet, you know? And, like, I choose not to look at crypto or other projects because that would be a huge distraction. Like I don't have enough time as it is, right? I choose not to look at stack stuff, right? Uh, that's just me. I mean, there are other people who focus on that and that's great for them, but like I can only know what I can know. I can do just do this. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's, that's what I'm, what I'm focused on. And uh, I'm excited about all of our companies. They're doing great. And it's a terrible market right now. If you're building through and if you've survived through this in Bitcoin, you're you're in it for life. You're a lifer if you're in it now. Hell yeah. Well, uh, man, this is a great conversation. I don't have any other questions. Any Anything you want to discuss or kind of close on that I didn't bring up? Um. No, man. I'm just wondering uh, what you're seeing through the uh, through the Frontier Fund. What 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 are you looking at? Yeah, man. I mean, right now, so we have this new. We're bullish on ordinals, um, so we're trying to support those founders building on ordinals. So we have our accelerator applications live right now, um, which has been a gift and a curse because although we're branding it as the Ordinals Accelerator. You can go to the website, check it out. But um, we also still invest in everything, but no one's doing that. <laughs> so like no one's applying for a Lightning startup or a DLC startup or a Bitcoin L1 startup for the most part. So I'm sure there's tons of stuff that we're missing. But Ordinals, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a super new market. So 
Who knows how it's going to play out? Um, it was crazy to watch how fast marketplaces adapted to, you know, PSBTs and like spinning up some tooling and infrastructure. So things like new wallets, more advanced multi-sig wallets is really interesting. Seen, seen a couple doing that. Um, infrastructure plays. Um, some like NFT launchpad stuff is somewhat interesting. Um, there's a cool company doing... Actually, we did get one lightning company doing cool lightning rewards as a service. So it's like an API that you can easily plug into and get a custodial kind of page to pay out lightning rewards. Kind of like you can think of it like at the end of your Shopify, Shopify purchase transaction, you can just get 10% back and it spins out into this account. Um, yeah, those are some of the things, some of the things that stand out. Um, the other stuff like BRC20s and stuff, I don't have a good pulse on, even though they're connected to ordinals. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just excited though, because I've been here for two years and it definitely feels like there's a ton more interest than when I started of people building here. Is it exactly about the ordinals that interests you and that you're excited about? Um, well, I think I think using the chain as not just an asset issuer and a way to make sure that transactions are ordered properly and provenance is kind of like you own this UCXO. Uh, being able to use it as a place to store things, I think, is a pretty good way to. Uh, increase fee revenue. So the, what, people, what people say is, is clogging the chain, I think it also on the inverse solves part of the security budget problem all term. So this is kind of dance between number go up, minor profitability, and security budget. My view is that long term, say 20, 40 years out, I think that 60% of the transactions on Bitcoin are payment related and like settling debts between exchanges or whatnot. And the other 40 is these odd end use cases like ordinals or this new Babylon thing where like Bitcoin staking to secure proof of stake networks. Like I think we're going to have like 30 of these odd use cases that take up the other 40%. Um, and people are going to find value in them and they're going to be paying fees that make the miners sustainable. That's kind of my pulse on it. Interesting. Yeah, it's certainly an exciting time, and there's no shortage of awesome projects out there. Yeah, so you, so you, I'm curious to get your pulse on it because you. It just sounds like you're not bullish on ordinals, or maybe it's just too early, and you want to wait and see. What's what's your take on it currently? Um, personally, I don't really care. Um, I think that it's cool that it brings attention to Bitcoin. Um, I mean. You know, NFTs basically started on Bitcoin. Um, and I, I personally, it is what it is. I don't really have an opinion. I mean, I'm not really interested in investing in any browser extensions or wallets or any of those type of things. There's too much else to look at. But we did make one um, ordinals investment and we managed to avoid all the death threats uh, during that time. <laughs> uh, but that was an ordinals bot. Um, 
and uh, I believe there were, or hopefully still are, uh, the leading inscription service. Um, and they did an absolutely ton of revenue in like six weeks, eight weeks. Yep. Numbers that many of our other companies can't do with after a much longer of a time. So that's kind of our bet on it. Um, you know, they didn't need our investment. They were going to go on regardless. Uh, and our ultimate, I mean, our one of our many goals is you are here to make money. Like, we're not saving the manatees. Um, so, you know, we rolled out a syndicate for it. A lot of, some people in our, in our network invested. Um, and that's pretty much it. They're going on without it. You know, you decide. Uh, but yeah, on a pick and shovel sort of like infrastructure, um, something like that is pretty interesting, but literally anything else ordinals related, like I'm not interested right now. I can't even imagine like locking up your ordinal and borrowing on DeFi or some sort of like ridiculous horse shit. Like there's no way I'm interested in anything having to do with that. I don't even want to hear about it. Um, Got it. But you know, the... The, the, the infrastructure for it, you know, sure, you know. Yeah, all those bot, we're, we're an investor in them as well, and they, be, being being first to market, they crushed it. They had, they, I think they were only early by like two weeks from like, for being the first inscription service, maybe it was even a week, but there was so much fervor around there that they just crushed it. I'm not sure how they're doing now either, but they do have a name brand that's starting to become like the the place to go. So, um, yeah, shout out to Brian and the team. Yeah, the other thing is is um, something like Scarce City, which um, you know they're a marketplace, right? They're an auction house. They do physical art. They do ton the collectibles. They do con- tons of cool stuff. But they were pretty early on the ordinals thing, right? Because they got a trade somewhere. You know, and they started building out Ord City or whatever. So that was by default. They were already a portfolio company, and I love them very much. And the people over there are awesome. But, like, you know, Wernals didn't exist when we invested. They were, like, doing art. You know what I mean? And, like, yeah, there was some counterparty stuff and the rare Pepe's and all that stuff, you know? But they're a really unique, cool company that does, that sells art, you know? Wait, so... I'm actually not, I, I, I'm I'm kind of familiar with them. I thought they were only counterparty before they got ordinals. They added ordinals. Were they doing something else too? No. Um, Scarce City is just a marketplace, right? Like if you were an artist and you wanted to sell your painting or, you know, some NFTs or you had old Casatius coin, Bitcoin collectibles or something, you would you would go to auction it there. Oh, okay. So they're closer to a, an art eBay that accepts Bitcoin as payment. Right. Not like eBay, more like Sotheby's, Christie's. You're kind of in the NFT ordinal space because they're selling them, but like they weren't when we invested. And, you know, it's just, I, I'm just trying to hear from you, like what these things are that you think are interesting. You know, you said wallets and some other thing. I mean, we have, we have, you know, we're investors in Gamma. We're investors in Xverse. So you got a wallet in the marketplace there. Um, I think for us, we're just following. We're trying to place bets on where consumer demand is. So like, 
there's one angle of like what's best for Bitcoin and there's another one which is like can we in the ordinal space for example just dealing with the NFT speculation BS whatever like if we just bring that from crypto to Bitcoin is that value add to Bitcoin we would say yes like it might hurt the brand of Bitcoin on a short term but does it add fee revenue does it get people to spend Bitcoin as money Yes, it does. And so I think I think if we could start to pull, for example, just on those angles, people from OpenSea and NFTs to ordinals, which have better provenance, you know, they're on chain, this kind of thing. <clears throat> I think that's interesting. I think that I think that the fact that people are speculating and the fact that volume is way down, I think those are short term things. But ultimately people are People are, are playing with them, trying them out. So I think that uh, use cases like that, uh, if people want to, you know, play with them, let them figure it out. Like, I think NFTs are, I don't have a strong pulse on NFTs. They seem, I think they're going to be an important asset in the future. People talk about, you know, movie tickets and show tickets and all this other stuff. And it's like, I'm bought into that in like a decade. Like, I think that's going to be interesting. Like the fact that I can buy a ticket, know it's in my wallet, and then people can market to me like, hey, if you went to three of my shows, you get my new album. Like things like that that you can do on chain that is not as easy because of the way that the standards work on, you know, a regular platform. The fact that it's all in your wallet, that's interesting. So putting that on Bitcoin, uh, maybe it plays out. So things like that. I think these are like, they're longer tail plays, but I think that as you build these kind of like inroads of immutability and like being able to see things on chain, if you can have it be closer to Bitcoin, some of the stuff that's on crypto currently, I think that's going to be good for Bitcoin. Yeah. That's my kind. Cool, man. Well, I got no other questions. This has been, this has been fantastic. Uh, I'll have links below for all the cool stuff that you guys are doing with Landing Ventures, the website, your Twitter, all that. Yeah, thanks for coming to the show and, and rocking with me. Yeah, can't wait to hopefully go to the demo day and to uh, see what y'all are up to. Hell yeah, hell yeah. All right, Mike, appreciate you for coming on. Thank you for listening this far into the episode. If you found it enjoyable, please do like subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on youtube does me a huge favor to like and subscribe find me on twitter at jake blockchain show me some love i reply to every dm and if you are a bitcoin builder that is kind of at the forefront of building new use cases whether it's l1 lightning stacks rootstock rollups ordinals brc20 uh i want to talk to you so when I'm not doing this podcast, I am the sourcing partner at the Bitcoin Frontier Fund, where we invest in Bitcoin startups at the earliest stages, give you access to whatever you need, whether it's legal, product, fundraising help, as well as capital. So love to talk to you. You can hit me up again. Find me on Twitter at Jake Blockchain and uh, shoot me a DM. I'll, I'll read everything. Love to talk to you guys. All right. Peace.
Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know that things don't always go your way, but I'll be right.